welcome to The Broad Chronicles, a mostly lighthearted exploration of the lives and times of my favorite ladies and other overlooked individuals throughout history. While I was busy prepping the original topic for this week's episode, I decided to do a rewatch of The White Queen on Stars, and yes, I know Philippa Gregory is historical fiction. You don't have to tell me. Um... One thing led to another rabbit hole, and the original topic for this episode was going to be Queen Charlotte of mecklenburg straelitz and she is still in the works. That episode is coming, but I remembered while I was watching The White Queen that I had actually started doing research for this podcast last summer, and I had a nearly completely written script about... Jaquetta of Luxembourg. And this may just be me, but I'm of the opinion that all girls that grew up obsessed with history, namely those of us who read the Royal Diaries series after we got done with Dear America, you know who you are. Um, We all had specific phases of historical obsession that happened. Um, I know for me, it was Marie Antoinette first, and then Anastasia and the Romanovs, and then Queen Victoria, who we have also already covered. And I think it would also be safe to assume that, like me, all of you have gone through a Tudor or a Wars of the Roses phase of historical obsession. So I decided that I was going to scratch that itch for 15-year-old Kayla and do an episode on Jaquetta of Luxembourg. At some point in the not-too-distant future, I hope to do episodes about the wives of Henry VIII and Elizabeth I and Mary I, and frankly, there's a whole cast of characters I could probably spend, like, a year or two at least just covering fascinating people from the Tudor and Wars of the Roses era. But I'm not going to do that, mainly because I don't have the attention span for that right now. I mean, those episodes are coming, but... I don't have the attention span for that right now. But I always have had a soft spot for the women who walked so others could run. And that brings me right back around to Jaquetta of Luxembourg. I find her fascinating because as I see her, she actively pursued what she wanted and was brave enough to go and chase it like a direct descendant of hers, Charlotte of Wales. See episode one. And that is a theme that certainly carried down to her female descendants, who I'm sure will all be subjects in their own right. I mean, two of them already have been. Jaquetta starts her life as a royal bride, like her granddaughter, Elizabeth of York, married for love despite the will of the crown, like her daughter, Elizabeth Woodville, and her great-granddaughter, Mary Tudor, the sister, not the daughter of Henry VIII. She somehow got caught up in the Game of Thrones, like her great-great-granddaughters, Mary I and Elizabeth I. And through her great-granddaughter, Margaret Tudor, sister of Henry VIII, her line still rules England to this day. So, let's jump into the life of Jaquetta of Luxembourg. She was born 
around 1415 or 1416, we don't know her exact birthday, to Peter of Luxembourg and Margaret of Bau. Or Bow, I'm not sure. It's spelled B-A-U-X. So somebody help a southern girl out on pronouncing French words. We don't know much about her early life, but what we do know is that she was born around the time that the Lancastrian phase of the Hundred Years' War began. And normally I'm not one for a deep dive into the history of certain wars. But for context of what's going on in her life, let's talk a little bit about the Hundred Years' War. Because it does end up playing a huge role in the events of Jaquetta's life. So that means we have to back up about 100 years to the year 1308 when Philip IV of France married his daughter, Isabella, off to Edward II of England. This would be Isabella the She-Wolf of France. Then all three of his sons became king. And all three of his sons died without having male heirs. An important thing to note here, the French laws of succession are under Salic law, which means girls cannot inherit the throne. It has to go to a male relative. So, by this law, Philip IV's son, Charles IV, when it was his turn to be king, he got married, a couple times, and his last wife was pregnant when he died. But she gave birth to a daughter named Mary. Mary could not become queen. So the throne passed to Charles IV's first cousin, Philip of Valois. Isabella, his sister, did have a son, Edward III. And Edward III became king of England. He started an argument with the new king of France, that even though girls couldn't inherit the throne themselves, that inheritance could pass through a woman to her male relatives. So really, he should also be king of France, because if that is how the law is interpreted, then he is really the closer male relation to Charles IV than Philip of Valois. So he declares war, and this goes on for 116 years in the background and overlaps the life of Jaquetta many, many ways. Like, the most famous parts of the war take place during the first half of her lifetime. So even though Jaquetta's family is from Luxembourg and they have lots of ties to France, they side with the English during the 100 Years' War. Her uncle, John II of Luxembourg, actually captured Joan of Arc and then turned her over to the English. So there's a little bit of bad blood there. In the year 1420, when we catch up with Jaquetta again, she is five years old. Charles VI of France has completely lost his mind. And so his wife, Isabeau of Bavaria, agrees to a marriage between her daughter, Catherine of Valois, and Henry V of England. Oh, France also agrees that Henry will become um, king of France. However, um, Charles VI had a son 
Charles, the Dauphin, um, Catherine's brother, he's not pleased with this. So this kind of kicks off another wave of wars. And I also kind of want to take a sidestep here and mention that Henry V's father, Henry IV, is kind of the guy that gets the Wars of the Roses, like, going. So everything is going great for Henry V during this phase of the war. He is a warrior king. He spends almost no time in England. His wife spends almost no time in England. And things are going great until Henry gets dysentery and literally poops himself to death. And then his nine-month-old son, Henry VI, becomes king. Um, I listen to Queen's podcast, and they have a saying that babies don't need jobs. And... I'm going to reinforce that statement here. Babies don't need jobs. So, because Henry VI is only only a little thing, his uncle, his uncle's plural, Henry the Henry V's brothers become his regents in his holdings in England and his holdings in France. So, one of his uncles, the Duke of Bedford, is the regent over his holdings in France. So now that we've kind of got the set dressings in place, we can get into what's going on politically with everybody. So Jaquetta's uncle, John, strikes up a friendship with the Duke of Bedford. I'm going to throw in right here, there's also a family legend um, for Jaquetta's family that they are descendants of the river goddess Melusina. Um, to be completely honest, when I imagine her, I think of the old school Starbucks logo with the mermaid with the two tails. And that's basically what she's a river goddess. I assume they meant for her to be a mermaid. I could be wildly off base there, but uh, Jaquetta's male ancestor fell in love with Melusina when he saw her bathing in the river, fell in love, they got married. Had a mess of kids. That's going to be a running theme in this episode. So let's uh, bring Jaquetta back out of the mists of history real fast and talk about her first marriage. Jaquetta's life really doesn't become clear again until around the time that her marriage negotiations happen. When Jaquetta is around the ripe old age of 17 years old, the Duke of Bedford approaches her uncle and starts negotiating a match. While this may not be palatable to our 21st century sensibilities, her marriage would likely have been a purely political or economic match to the best advantage of her family. And recall that her family supported the English presence in France during this phase of the war, so this would also be a very strategic match for them. And the Duke of Bedford himself was a prime catch. His first wife had just died without giving him any children. Because, you know, Middle Ages women are breeding stock. He needed heirs and Jaquetta was a well-connected young lady. So he marries Jaquetta a whopping five months after the death of his first wife. So shortly after their marriage, they moved to Paris and lived there for a little while to oversee um, Henry VI's interests in France. 
and then Bedford decides to take Jaquetta to England for a year so she can meet his family, but unfortunately, while they're there, Jaquetta's father catches the plague and dies. So in 15, in 14, so they have to return to France in 1434. While all of this is happening, the tide of the Hundred Years' War began to shift, and the Duke of Bedford's health begins to fail. At some point, he appoints the man by the name of Richard Woodville to the position of lieutenant of the Calais garrison. Richard and Jaquetta meet, and they begin to cozy up to each other. The Duke dies on September 14, 1435, leaving his 19-year-old wife an insanely wealthy widow. And while the pair may not have been in love with each other, he made sure to take care of her. He left her as the sole heir to his estate in his will, and this suggests that they may have liked each other somewhat. But it also sets up a couple of problems. The Duke of Bedford is a royal duke. That means he was a prince as well. And as the wife of a royal duke, as a member of the royal family, she needs permission to marry again. And her ability to keep her inheritance is contingent on her not marrying without permission. Spoiler alert. That's exactly what she does. Henry VI commissions Richard Woodville to bring his uncle's widow back to England in 1437. Now, the two at this time were already likely familiar with each other, but sometime between leaving France and arriving in England, Jaquetta and Richard Woodville fall in love and get married in secret. I know I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but Jaquetta's descendant, uh, Mary Tudor, the sister of Henry VIII, pulls this exact same move. She gets sent to marry the King of France. He dies. She falls in love with her brother's best friend. They get married in secret. Henry has a huge fucking cow about it. In fact, Henry VI is furious when he learns of this marriage, but he lets he lets Jaquetta off with only having to pay a fine of 1,000 pounds in 15th century money. And Jaquetta and Richard waste absolutely no time in having children. Between their marriage in about 1437 and the time of his death in 1469, they had 14 children, 13 of whom survived to adulthood. Jaquetta had fairly regular pregnancies, and instead of sprinkling them throughout the story, I'm just going to list all of them here. In 1437, Elizabeth Woodville is born. She becomes Queen of England. In 1438, she is followed by Louis. In 38 or 39, Louis is followed by Anne. 1440, Anthony is born. 1444, John is born. 1445, Jaquetta is born. 1446, Lionel is born. There are question marks for the daughters Eleanor, Margaret, and Martha. In 1453, Richard is born. In either 54 or 58, their son Edward is born. 
In 56, their daughter Mary is born, and in 58, their daughter Catherine is born. By this point in her life, Jaquetta would have been spending a lot of time at her family's home, Grafton, with the responsibilities of a country English gentlewoman while Richard continued his military service. In 1444, England signed a peace treaty with France, and it came with a marriage contract between Henry VI and Margaret of Anjou. Now, Richard and Jaquetta get to play another major role here. They are sent as part of the party to escort the young queen to England to meet her husband. And Jaquetta actually ended up striking up a friendship with the new queen and they had a lot in common they were both foreign brides they were both married in the middle of turmoil between england and france they were both um while jaquetta isn't exactly from france she lived in france for a long time and margaret was certainly french they would have had um some cultural commonalities as well so and the fact that jaquetta was probably Jaquetta was older and had gone through a lot of this stuff. Um, Margaret would have probably relied on her a lot, especially since she was a teenager at the time. Um, Margaret actually ends up trusting Jaquetta so much that she makes her a chief lady in waiting. It's also worth noting that people would have generally been suspicious of Margaret. I mean, England has been at war with France for the last century and Margaret is a French bride and I mean frankly as far as I understand it there are still running jokes about beef between England and France to this day so I guess that's not much different in 15th century Europe as well in the year 1448 Henry makes Richard Woodville Baron Rivers so Richard gets a title. He is now a peer of the land. And then at this point, there's a bit of drama with Edmund Beaufort, the king's cousin, which ended with a display of ineptitude from Henry for the whole kingdom to see. I don't remember exactly what that was, but um, it was worth noting. Normally, talking about wars, like I said when I talked about the Hundred Years' War, goes against every single fiber of my being because, frankly, this battle, that battle, this person won, that person won, is of no interest to me. But Jaquetta is a uniquely placed woman in history, and she is literally in the, it is woven into her story in so many points. So, if you know anything about her daughter, Elizabeth Woodville, you know that Jaquetta is mixed up in at least the first two-thirds of the Wars of the Roses. And it's around this time after the incident with Edmund Beaufort that the wheels of civil war begin turning, and those wheels turning result in the Wars of the Roses. And to understand these wars, we need to kind of take a little bit of a balls-deep dive into the family tree of Henry VI, which I've discussed a little bit already. We've talked a little bit about Edward III and... The conflict of the Wars of the Roses have to do with the descendants of Edward III. So Edward and his wife, or wives, had many, many children. But the ones involved in the fighting were descended 
from his sons, um, particularly John of Gaunt, the Duke of La Lancaster, and his brother Edmund, the Duke of York. John's line was the current holder of the throne. So John of Gaunt had a wife named Blanche of Lancaster, and they had a son named Henry Bolingbroke, who becomes Henry IV. Henry IV has a son, Henry V. Henry V has a son, Henry VI. We're all familiar with Henry VI. John also had a uh, third wife, Catherine Swinford, who was actually his mistress, who he later married. They had, they had an affair. She had a mess of kids with him. Then they got married and their children were legitimized, but it was under the understanding that they would not be eligible to inherit the throne. Um, one of their sons is John Beaufort, the first Earl of Somerset, whose son was Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset. And then we're going to hop over to the Duke of York, Edmund of... And Edmund is going to establish the rival line. So Edmund has a son named Richard, who is the third Earl of Cambridge. Richard becomes the father of Richard, the third Duke of York, who then becomes father of Edward, Earl of March, later Edward IV. He's also the father of um, George, Duke of Clarence, and Richard, Duke of Gloucester. All of these guys will come up later, and I will explain their relevance then. So, if you are familiar with the story of the Wars of the Roses, you know that the fighting is between the Red Roses of Lancaster and the White Roses of York. The Rose Attributions actually come much later in history, but, you know, we all love watching a good sports match. We all know our team's colors, so I, I don't think it could hurt to continue that line of thinking here. But anywho, the House of Lancaster, the descendants of the Duke of Lancaster, are the senior branch, and they currently hold the throne. They are led by the likes of Edmund Beaufort, who was favored by Queen Margaret of Anjou. So Edmund Beaufort would have been a close cousin of Henry VI at this point. And the House of York, the White Roses, are led by Richard, the third Duke of York. So let's get into it. The crux of the matter is this. Henry VI really, really sucked at his job. So on top of babies not needing jobs, remember I mentioned that Henry's grandfather, the um, King of France, was known as Charles the Mad. This man thought he was made of glass and would break at some points. And Henry, um, Henry was also unfortunate in the mental health department in a similar way. So he would go into these spells of being catatonic and unresponsive for weeks and months on end, which would mean regents would need to be called in. And one of the regents that continually gets called in is Edmund Beaufort, who was favored by Margaret of Anjou. And Margaret was fighting for her husband and she had had a son and she was fighting for his claims to the English throne, and a position of power. Richard, the Duke of York, wanted more power, and he was 
pushing for more influence over Henry. So this kind of kicks off 30 years of fighting between various factions of the family. And it will come up in future episodes. I'm just not going to do it here. One thing I find fascinating about the Woodville family during this time is that it is apparent that Henry is no good at his job and he is not fit for the role. But the Woodvilles remain loyal to him and to the Lancastrian cause. And I can't fathom this because they do a 180 flip in a matter of years. And the reason that I suspect this is the case is that they had been serving the House of Lancaster almost Jaquetta's entire life. Like as far as as far as she's concerned, almost her entire life. And Jaquetta had made a great friendship in Margaret of Anjou. And practically speaking, the lands and titles that they held were given to them by the Lancastrian rulers, and it probably wouldn't be very smart to switch sides or to not support them. Especially because, like, I have the benefit of looking back on history from the hindsight. Like, I know everything that's going to happen. So, to me, now, it seems kind of silly that they supported the Lancasters for as long as they did, knowing that, like, it's ultimately going to be... It's ultimately going to be the name Tudor that is remembered. Not Lancaster, not York. Tudor. Even though, yes, the Tudors are going to be an offshoot of the Lancastrian line. But that is a story for another day. Let's get back to Jaquetta's life. So, as you recall, Jaquetta's oldest child is named Elizabeth. And in 1452... Jaquetta and her husband arrange a marriage for their oldest daughter, Elizabeth, who is 15, to her first husband, Sir John Gray. And before you ask yourself, are they related to, like, Lady Jane Gray? I have no clue. I meant to Google it. I have not Googled it yet. So if one of you wants to look it up and tell me, I would be happy. I would be happy to know that information. Elizabeth Woodville and her husband... Sir John Gray, have two children, Thomas and Anthony. Now, around this time, two major events occur on the political stage. In 1453, Margaret of Anjou finally gets pregnant, but England loses Bordeaux to France, and Henry VI disappears into a catatonic state, which again becomes a fairly regular occurrence for him. In October of 1453, Margaret gives birth to her child, her only child, Edmund of Westminster. And Richard, the Duke of York, sees an opportunity to fight his way onto the Privy Council and manages to have the royal family put on house arrest. So the royal family being Henry VI, Margaret of Anjou, and their son Edward of Westminster. Everybody is named Edward in this story, I swear. In December of 1454, Henry recovers from his catatonic state. While in general, there is some rejoicing overall, some things were better while the country was under Richard of York's influence. And this is just going to put more fuel on the fire. If you've ever been around when like gasoline is dumped on like a bonfire or something, it's 
basically what happens. And then lots of things happen in very quick succession at this point. I'm going to get through them as quickly as possible. 1455, the first battle of St. Albans happens. It's a Yorkist victory. During this battle, the Duke of Bedford is killed again. Well, the new Duke of Bedford. And from here, we're just going to move quickly. 1456, Jaquetta's husband is relieved of his command in Calais, and the crown continues to struggle. Between 1458 and 1460, things at court continue to get bad. On September 23rd, 1459, the Battle of Lord Heath happens. That's a York victory. October 12th, 1459, the Battle of Ludford Bridge. That's a Lancaster victory. July 10th of 1460 is the Battle of Northampton. It's a York victory. Henry VI is captured at this point. October of 1460, Richard, the Duke of York, is declared heir in place of Margaret's son. Margaret responds by raising an army of her own. On December 30th of 1460, the Battle of Wakefield happens. Richard, the Duke of York, is killed, and his son, Edward, the Earl of March, becomes the Duke of York. Um, this Edward will later become Edward IV. February 2nd, 1461, is the Battle of Mortimer Cross. February 17th of 1461 is the Second Battle of St. Albans. And during this battle, Elizabeth Woodville, the daughter of Jaquetta, her husband dies. And then in March 9th, 1461, the Battle of Toton, Towton is a York victory. And at this point, Edward IV is declared king. Edward also would go on to pardon Jaquetta's family for their support of the Lancasters. But because Elizabeth is now a widow, her husband was killed in battle, and she has two young sons, she becomes locked in an argument with her mother-in-law over her widow's inheritance. Basically, her husband's mom, in a Reddit-worthy move, refuses to let go of any of her son's possessions to give to Elizabeth so she can afford to, I don't know, feed her kids, raise them, educate them. So she has no other choice but to take her kids and move back in with her mother and the rest of her family. But she's not willing to give up her rights to her husband's lands. So she decides to petition the king for her inheritance. There's a story that she waits for Edward on the road under an oak tree. And if you've seen The White Queen, this is one of the opening scenes. Um, Edward tries to seduce her and she kind of rebuffs him. I don't know if this is true or not, but, you know, it makes for good television. So um, she petitions the king for her inheritance so she can take care of her, her children. Um, she gets the throne instead. She gets the whole nation of England. Um, as her reward. Edward falls in love with her and marries her in secret. And this is going to cause some political and international strife. So Richard Neville, the Earl of Warwick, had a freaking cow and made it his personal mission to be an asshole to the entire Woodville family over this move. Because Jaquetta is not a dumb woman, as we have seen, and she knows that she has 12 more children that are going to need to be married and settled and 
that now that her oldest is the Queen of England, that opens up a world of possibilities for the rest of her, for the rest of her children. She starts to marry her other 12 kids off all to the eligible people in the nobility. And this puts a burr in Warwick's saddle because he's got two daughters of his own, Anne and Isabella, and he's so mad. It's not just this. Like, he's rankled by the whole thing. He also went through the efforts to, like, arrange a marriage between Edward and a prisoner, uh, not a prisoner of France, a princess of France. And obviously, since Edward is married, that can't go through. It's a whole big mess. So... Warwick ends up switching sides and taking up arms for the Lancasters. He allies himself with Margaret of Anjou, and he actually manages to capture Edward IV and hold him prisoner at one point. So, Jaquetta and Elizabeth go into hiding with her children, because at this point Elizabeth had had a few girls with, um, with Edward. So the final years for Jaquetta um, are are very actually they're actually very sad. Like just lots of lots of crap happens to her. Um, Warwick accuses her of witchcraft by having one of his close associates say that they found lead figures of Elizabeth and Edward that she used to air quotes bewitch the king into marrying her. And at first, Jaquetta is convicted of being a witch. Because remember, there's also this family lore that Jaquetta is descended from the river goddess Melusina. Um, Warwick also captures Jaquetta's husband, Richard, and one of their sons shortly after this and puts them on trial in a kangaroo court has them convicted of treason and executed before anything can be done about this. Um, Edward is eventually released and clears Jaquetta of all of the charges of witchcraft against her, but it just really seems that at this point the wind has gone from her sails. Um, she dies in 1472 at the age of 56. Now, this may just be me projecting onto the situation, but it, it seems that Jaquetta and Richard shared a deep and passionate love. I mean, they put... Jaquetta could have been a very comfortable widow and lived her best life for for the rest of her life, and she chose to marry a commoner because she had no way of knowing that he was going to eventually receive a noble title, and married a commoner and was happy to be his poor wife for the rest of her life. And to me, that speaks of a deep and committed love. Um, the trauma of his sudden and violent death seems to speak to this as well. Um, Jaquetta is one of those people I would say that never knew a spare moment of peace in her entire life. Because it was just filled with turmoil and maneuvering and intrigue at every turn. I think it was very much an existence of like, <sighs> I can breathe and oh, nope, here we go again. Here's another war. Here's another person claiming to be king or wanting to take the throne. Just She was almost always a background figure in the politics of the day. From the time she's five 
until she dies in 1472. She went from being a royal duchess to the wife of the commoner to a lady of the queen's house to the mother of the queen. But it did not mean that tragedy didn't touch her. Still, Jaquetta is to be admired for the legacy that she left behind and the dynasty that she helped to start. One of the things that I find fascinating about her, and by extension her descendants, is that she embodies the spirit of, of this show. Even though men play a huge, a huge role, even though they almost like provide the frame of the loom, it's the women that provide the warp and weft for the fabric of the period. Like, yeah, we can look and see, like, the Wars of the Roses and the Hundred Years' War. We, we're familiar with these events, but when you get down and look at the everyday lives of the women of the period, it's, it's... Their contributions just as well that really give clarity to what is happening. And I think she's to be admired for that. And now it's time for the section of the episode where I tell you all about the media that I would recommend checking out and some of the media that I consulted when I was researching for this episode. The number one source I consulted was the book The Women of the Cousins War, which was a three-part biography written by Philip Gregory, David Baldwin, and Michael Jones. It covers Elizabeth Woodville, Jaquetta of Luxembourg, and Margaret Beaufort, I believe. Um, obviously, I consulted the part on Jaquetta of Luxembourg. Um, I, of course, also checked out the Encyclopedia Britannica article on Jaquetta of Luxembourg, and I got a lot of my broad strokes from the Wikipedia article on Jaquetta of Luxembourg. And this is my other disclaimer that I always throw in when I mention Wikipedia. I am an English teacher. I talk to my kids about good research habits and making sure that you're consulting worthwhile sources. And basically, if I couldn't confirm what I found in Wikipedia across other sources I saw, that information was not included. So I think, I think it's perfectly safe if you know how to be cautious with it. And I'm going to take my teacher hat off here. So... I'm actually going to do a little bit of a new section here real fast because I have several recommended podcast episodes um, relating to either Jaquetta of Luxembourg or topics adjacent to what we talked about in this episode. So the first show I'm going to talk about is Queen's Podcast. It's very similar to mine. They cover the lives of notable queens throughout history, whether they be royal queens or queens for something epic that they've done in their lives. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up. Katie and Nathan swear a lot, so if that is not your flavor, maybe uh, skip over them and go to a different podcast. But 
they're very entertaining and conversational, but they have two a they have a two-part episode on Jaquetta of Luxembourg. They cover Isabeau of Bavaria, who I mentioned also in this episode. They also talk about Catherine Swinford, who I mentioned um when I talked about the Wars of the Roses. And they have a section on the princes in the tower. Um, all of those are Jaquetta of Luxembourg adjacent topics. Um, my all-time favorite history podcast on on the internet is the History Tick, the History Chicks. And many years ago, they did an episode called the Teeny Tiny Tutor Tutorial which covers a lot of the background information on the Tudor family. And there, again, was a lot of adjacent information in that episode to my topic for this one. So that one's worth checking out. Tides of History um, has a great production value, and their episode on the Wars of the Roses is one that I listened to a fair few times before putting this episode together. And then if you like a straight biography of kings and queens, I can't recommend The Rex Factor enough, specifically the episode on Edward IV and the episode on Elizabeth Woodville. Both of those would have covered the life of Jaquetta or Jaquetta-adjacent information. So those are all of my recommendations for media that you may find interesting and at this point I will say farewell so thank you for listening if you'd like to reach out to the show you can email me at thebroadchronicles at gmail.com I am also on tiktok instagram and threads as the broad chronicles pod on all of those platforms, you'll find lots of history tidbits, extra information, episode previews, things I just didn't have space for in the show, and you'll just get to interact with me in some history nonsense. Also, if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, or you're like me and you've never read The Lord of the Rings before, feel free to check out my other podcast called Mordor She Wrote, where I embark on my first ever journey through Middle-earth with my best friend Audrey as my expert and guide. You can read along with me as we cover the Fellowship of the Ring. Currently, we are on chapter 14, and chapter 15 comes out next week. So if you would like to read along, we are on book one, The Fellowship of the Ring, and if you just want to listen along, um, you can find Mordor She Wrote wherever you find the Broad Chronicles. And finally, you can find the podcast, The Broad Chronicles, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you like to listen to a podcast. And if you do listen on Apple or Spotify, please be sure to leave some stars and a nice review. I would love to hear from you. Spotify even has a nice little feature where you can leave the show a message under the episode. So if you would like to take advantage of that, I would love to hear from from whoever's listening. So thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.